This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle. And today on Fifth Emission, I'm chatting with urban design writer John King. This century has brought some significant changes to our skylines in the Bay Area. Some of these additions are controversial. Others may be a bit overlooked by all of us. John has chosen what he thinks are the best additions to the Bay Area, and he's with me today to discuss his choices. So welcome, John. Thank you very much. So um, there, this is your 12 best buildings um, not your 12 favorite buildings. So what's the difference? Right. The difference, first of all, it's kind of 12 best buildings and spaces. I've got South Park in there and then also one of the housing projects that has a large public walkway in it. The difference is I wanted 12 good, very good buildings or spaces that told the story of what what's at stake in San Francisco right now. So, for instance, one of the towers that I chose is, or the tower I chose is 181 Fremont Street, which is the one with the spike on the top and the big diagonal braces. Purely for like skyscraper aesthetics, I think Salesforce towers better executed. Uh, there are one or two other towers I think are better towers. But 181 Fremont kind of has a little bit of swagger to it. And I think one of the things people don't like about the skyline these days, it's a bunch of big glass boxes. And this one's actually got a lot, a little bit of, it's got a little bit of character and personality. And so that's why as I'm juggling, figuratively juggling <laughs> three or four towers, it's like, okay, well, this one, this one captures what's going on in the skyline right now. But do you think people really, uh, you said you think they don't like it because it's just a bunch of glass boxes, mm -hmm. but I, I feel like if anything was super um, different, they would hate that too in San Francisco. We always seem to design right. to the bland denominator. There's definitely a lot of that. And that was another thing is, you know, this list doesn't include the ugly looking, you know, the bland building that typifies the bland buildings. I wanted to accentuate the positive. Uh, but it's tricky because a lot of people don't like what they see as a cookie-cutter mentality in San Francisco right now. It's like, oh, this could be anywhere. This could be anywhere. But you're right. Anything that is real provocative and different, like the Transamerica Pyramid or the de Young Museum or other buildings that now are kind of revered and accepted, um, people freak out about those at the beginning too. Like with 181 Fremont mm – -hmm. The renderings, it kind of looked horrible, but when it's actually up on the skyline and there are all these big boxes and then there's this one thing that's kind of lurching around and, you know, literally reaching for the heavens, it's like, oh, that's a nice change of pace. So you have a lot of housing buildings yes. on here too. How, what, what makes a good housing building, do you think? Uh, because you have some on here that I just like, I definitely raised my eyebrow about. <laughs> I, I, you can probably guess which one it is, but it says faux history and genuine conviction. Yes. I, that doesn't even make sense to me. Sure it does. <laughs> I guess the thing with the housing, there are a number of those on there because housing is such a huge 
factor of what's shaping the discussion over San Francisco right now. And so one of the, you know, I've got four of them on there because I think it kind of shows different aspects. One of the ones that I have, it shows that this housing has to connect to its surroundings. It has to not be aloof. There's a big project in Dogpatch that Anne Fougeron, a local architect, did. And the building itself, I like it. It's kind of fun. You know, it's got, you could quibble with a lot of the details, but it's a real good building. But it also comes with a through-block walkway. And anyone who's been to Mission Bay knows there are all these through-block walkways that are just these kind of dreary concrete strips. And it's like, oh, I guess I could cut through here to get to the other block, but it's so grim or it's so dull, whatever. The one down in Dogpatch, it's like you're kind of on this bridge that's going through a bioswale with all these exotic plants around you. There are tables to stop at, benches, and it is really a cool space. So it shows it connects. The Faux History Genuine Conviction is a building on Pacific Avenue that the developer did is basically, it's kind of like his homage. He had an architect basically mimic Paris in 1900, this kind of over-the-top, opulent, faux sculptural figurines covered in vines and whatnot. And it's the kind of thing a lot of people who follow me were saying, oh, you got to go write about this thing. It sucks. And people I know said, oh, you got to go write about this. It sucks. And I went to see it. And, and just to be difficult, you were like, it's no, brilliant. I went and it's like, <laughs> it's really goofy. It's It's not my taste. It was done better a century ago. But the fact is, it's not just another bland cookie cutter box. The thing's got some real spirit to it. And, you know, so things like that, it's like they don't have, it's not like a building has to be a certain style, but the building has to genuinely want to fit into San Francisco and really offer something to San Francisco, whether it's a great public walkway or crazy over the top women clad in aloe leaves. Okay. Maybe only one of those uh, in all <laughs> only of San Only one Francisco. is on the list. Only one. But you also have in here um, low-income housing, which yes. I thought was a really smart addition because I think we're used to seeing, um, you know, some of the public project buildings. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what San Francisco did post, quote unquote, urban renewal right. is just so ugly and functional in sort of an almost like Russian right. sort of way. Right. And and you have a building on here that's a low-income housing. doesn't look like that. Yeah, it's down at 6th and Howard. It replaced Fenestration, the ab- abandoned SRO that an artist on a kind of impromptu thing stuck like pianos and couches out the windows. We wrote about that bu- that, sto- that building so many times. Yeah, it became like, like this weird local icon. The thing about San Francisco has a lot of good architects who genuinely want to do good low-income housing. And one of the things with a list like this is having three or four to choose from and deciding which one kind of tells the story. I chose the one at 6th and Howard because it is a building that is really assertive. It's covered in brick, dramatic. I mean, it's a building that's like proud of what it is, and it really signals this is the kind of housing we need to provide, and this kind of housing can make everything around it better. And again, it gets back to the housing thing. This building, I mean, I've worked next to 6th Street for too many years. 
6th Street is dismal. Everything done to improve it, it's dismal. And you see this building and says, you know what, there could be a better future. And I think it's important to emphasize low-income housing because with all the social strains in San Francisco, we have to think about how do we make it feel like part of the city. And that project does that. Let's take a break. I'm speaking to urban design critic John King about his best 12 buildings of the last 10 years. I'm back. This is Fifth Emission. I'm speaking with urban design critic John King. I think it's worth explaining how you view architecture and urban design because I hear you talk a lot about what it does for the city and how it fits in. So how much of this list is it's just a nice looking building that's not boring and how much of it is the actual role that it plays? Yeah, the role it plays, I think, is critical. In terms of this list, the the building that kept going on and going off and ended up on is the Apple Store in Union Square, which Foster and Partners did. They're the ones who did the spaceship campus down in Cupertino. Basically, you had the world's most perfectionist client, Apple, and Stephen Jobs hired Foster and Partners for Cupertino. And you have the world's most meticulous big firm with a limitless budget. And this was the first Foster and Partners Apple flagship it was doing, you know, after the 10 years or so of distinctive Apple glass boxes and whatnot. So they pulled out all the stops. And it's like there's no redeeming social value to the Apple Union Square store, except it is a near perfect piece of architecture in terms of the materials, the joints, the fittings, everything about it. One example of how flawless it is. It's been open about four years now, and the big 42-foot high glass doors still pivot open and shut most days. You know, other buildings that have that kind of overscaled glass wall that becomes a part, opens up to let the public in, after a year, it tends to be broken all the time. Yeah, that, that hasn't happened in that store, really. No, no. And so that's so that there are a few on there that it's like, well, this is just a really good building. I need to mention it. But there had to be kind of a larger tale as well, except for that one. <laughs> <laughs> so there are a couple of um, notable buildings that are not on your right. list. And uh, SF MoMA mm-hmm. is an obvious – we went through a lot of debate about yes. the staircase that got taken out of right. SF MoMA. Salesforce Tower, the biggest ta- – how can you not put Salesforce Tower, the tallest building in San Francisco, on this list? This is where the logistics of putting together a list get involved. There was a lot I wanted to tell in this story. It's almost a graphic essay as much as a best of list. And I had room for one tower. So it becomes, well, what's the one tower? And, you know, I've written a lot about Salesforce Tower as symbol and all. I think Salesforce Tower is a really good tower. But as I said when I reviewed it, I also think it's kind of underwhelming. It's like it wants to be a tasteful, well-tailored tower that, oh, yeah, is also 1,070 feet high and is the biggest floor plate for the bottom half anywhere. Uh, So it was one of these things where it's like it's big, it's important, everything like that. But then I'm just kind of writing the history of the city, and I've told that story before. And that's why I grabbed 181 Fremont. It's like, okay, well, this one's got a little spark to it that says something about what towers don't do anymore. 
even though it looks utterly contemporary. So maybe if this was a list about buildings that San Francisco produced in a very San Francisco way, Salesforce Tower would make yeah. it on. Because that yeah. I remember we were working together yes. when, when the original designs came out, and there were a couple of proposed designs that you were excited about. Mm-hmm. And then we got what we got. Yeah, I, I voted for a different one, but... My, I, Your vote didn't count. <laughs> I'm not the planning director and I'm not the Transbay Joint Powers Authority. Uh, yeah, it, it, it is tricky. I mean, actually, you know, the culture desk for the paper did our kind of like 20 moments of the first 20 years. And I wrote a thing about Salesforce Tower for that. You know, so it, it did fit in in that way in a different context. Yes, it's definitely the building that most captures the decade. SF MoMA, you know, I think it's a good museum. I think they tried real hard. If I was doing a list of the top 20 buildings, I'd put it down on the bottom 10 and kind of explain why it was. I mean, I think Bamfa in Berkeley is a much better museum inch for inch. However, again, so much was done this decade. I focused on San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, SF is an interesting building. I, I'll, when I do my five-year piece, I'll dig into that a little more. <laughs> About why it's interesting. I find it totally confusing to walk around. Well, that's a, no, that's a, interesting in a sense of it is, it's a real good, earnest, ambitious thing. And in a lot of ways, it just, it's never, this is aside from the top 10 list, but not totally. It's a building that's never grown on me or revealed more about itself to me. I mean, a good a really good work of architecture, whatever scale, whatever its role, you kind of keep finding new things like, oh, well, this works too. This works too. Like the Anne Fougeron building in Dogpatch, cool building. Oh, wait a second. There's also this walkway over here. you know. And then it starts to be something bigger. SF MoMA is what it is. There's and it's an, confusing and it's big. It, it is confusing. I always find myself in the same parts of it, never discovering new parts of it. What, another one that I was kind of surprised that you didn't put on here was Westfield Mall because I remember walking through that before any of the stores were open and it's a it's a pretty interesting rebuild uh, now that it's been open for a while any yeah, thoughts on Westfield but you know something like the Westfield Mall shopping center whatever again that becomes just kind of like trends in the city i mean i think I think it's real interesting, but I don't think it's so good in and of itself. One building I kind of thought about putting on the list but fell off pretty quick was the redo of Moscone Center. Because I think for what Moscone Center is, it's really good. But it kind of came down to, okay, I've got – I'm pushing my top 10 list to a top 12 list. Yeah, I noticed that. I'm superstitious, so I'm not going to go to 13. (laughs) Uh, You know, and Moscone Center – it's good for what it is, but what do I take off the list to say, you know, when it comes to behemoth full block convention centers, this one's pretty good. Yeah. Well, this was looking at the last right. 20 years of the century ten so years. far. Ten, ten, oh, sorry, 10 years. Um, what do you think we're going to see in the next 10 years? We're going to, is it going to get better? Is it going to get worse? Uh, is is that the wrong way to even think about yeah, it? Yeah, San, the way San Francisco is, I mean, better and worse are such contested terms in today's city. It's That's a tough one. But I think it's going to be very different. You know, assuming the economy holds up, assuming weird, even weirder things don't happen at City Hall, you're going to see a whole new flock of towers down around just north of Mission Bay, kind of where... Um, Basically, it's called Central Soma, but kind of like 
from where we are south at Fifth and Mission, you're going to be seeing a lot. They're not going to be 1,000-foot towers or 800-foot towers, but they're going to be like 400-foot towers. Um, the Hearst Company and Brookfield Properties are building two on our block, and I'm right by the window, so I know that every day. <laughs> they took away our parking. They're building a building, so it better I, look good. <laughs> I get to watch construction in progress. But you're going to see a bunch of new towers like that. Theoretically, you're going to see whole new neighborhoods popping up. You know, Park Merced's finally going to get built. The shipyard's going to finally stop glowing, maybe. You know, things like that. Treasure Island's going to become the new magical city. I mean, you're going to see the map change. What I hope is we will also see new prototypes for housing that can be built relatively cheaply, but not be demeaning and begin to tackle some of the housing problems. Well, that brings me to my last question. And that is when it we know it costs so much money mm -hmm. to build new housing here. When there's such an acute need to get homes for people that right. are affordable so we can have a middle class in the city, why should we still be thinking about making them pretty too? Because pretty is uh, pretty mm -hmm. or interesting, as you right. might say, sure. that's that's expensive. I would disagree. I think you can do a very simple, you know, a building doesn't have to have titanium walls and ultra clear glass to be a good building. It has to be just a well-built thing and people caring about what they're doing. It doesn't have to be lavish. But I think the thing is that one reason San Francisco is obscenely expensive, obscenely in demand, so riven with social tension is because so many different types of people for the last 60, 70, 80 years have really wanted to be here. If we were to say all that matters is producing more housing space or producing more office space, well, then why don't we just bulldoze Grant Avenue and get rid of all that stuff and just put up a bunch of 30-story towers? Why don't we just line Columbus Avenue with 50-story towers? Why don't we just take over Pacific Heights and put in 20-story slabs? I mean, if you say the only thing that matters is the unit count, you start to destroy the very thing that makes this a place that people come to and fall in love and want to stay in, including a lot of really smart, talented people that then fuel the next wave of innovations that cause a whole new set of affordability problems. So a lot of people are going to want to uh, suggest the best buildings that they think should have been on mm -hmm. this list. How do they get a hold of you with their uh, suggestions? I would say the best way to do it uh, is that I have a Twitter handle, at John King SF Cron. Too many John Kings in the world. I had to get real specific. <laughs> I think that is probably the best way to do it. Okay, great. Well, I, I'm going to disagree with you about Salesforce Tower, but then again, awesome. everything I know about architecture, I literally learned from you. So the that, beauty of that, archi <laughs> that shows how much I know. The beauty of architecture, it's a subjective art. That's right. Thank you so much for My being on. My pleasure. I'd like to thank John King for being on Fifth Emission today. Thank you to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. Fifth Emission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.